but also one of the one of the other thieves got in the action too, man. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, get off the cross. You call yourself God," and he's kind of in it too. But the guy on the other side initially, one of the one of the uh, one of the gospel writers says he started, but then he stopped. And I think he saw something in Jesus. I, I also think that maybe just for a moment he began to think, maybe. Just maybe there's a possibility that he is who he says he is. He actually yells at the other guy across on the other side of Jesus and said, you know what? He says, we deserve the punishment we're getting for the crimes that we've committed, but he's innocent. And then he looked over at Jesus. And I, I think probably in that last moment where he just knows he's going to die, he's thinking, maybe I got one more shot at life. And he, and he says to him, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, as he's literally fighting for every breath, must have pushed himself up a little bit to get a breath. That's the only way that you could even speak words on, in the crucifixion process. Says to him, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Second chance. Uh, an opportunity that changed everything. I want to talk about resurrection. I want to talk about second chances today. You know, we, we call our church... New break, because we think everybody needs one. And we believe in, in second chances. The resurrection makes it possible to have a second chance in, in life. And, and let's, let's face it, some of us need third chances and 50th chances, right? If we're really, really being honest about it. But he is the God who is full of grace and, and does that. Um, I don't know how many of you are golfers or how many of you follow the story of Tiger Woods, but, well, last week uh, on Sunday at the Masters, if you followed the life of Tiger Woods, even if you don't know golf, you probably know the story, he did something that was absolutely monumental. It was probably the greatest comeback story that I've ever heard in, in my lifetime. And so you know that, I mean, Tiger Woods was, was everything, setting every kind of record you could possibly imagine. And then the scandal, right? And uh, all over the tabloids, and his life is falling apart, and then he begins to have knee problems, back problems. Just 18 months ago, uh, he was pulled over, got a DUI for being on you know, uh, prescription drugs, and it was messing him up. And so everybody, I think for the most part, kind of wrote Tiger off. They said, you know, he's still a good golfer, but he'll never be what he was. And then last Sunday at the Masters, he's walking down towards the 18th hole. And if you know anything about Tiger Woods, you know that when he's in the hunt, so to speak, he wears the red shirt. And if, if, you're, like, if you're playing against Tiger Woods and, you're right there, and he wears the red shirt, you're in trouble. Because when he's on the hunt, he usually gets his prey. And so he's coming down there, and the people are just going wild. And, and uh, I don't know if I've told you this, but I'm a golfer. Who's laughing? I, I'm a golfer. And so I play with my sons, and I play with the staff once in a while. We have some pretty good uh, people on our staff that play golf. And, and, and every once in a while, I put on the red shirt. And when I put on the red shirt, Everybody knows what it means. Steve Bombacci is going to play another round of lousy golf. That's exactly what it means when I put on the red shirt. But not Tiger. No, 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 no. When Tiger puts on the red shirt, he's going for it. And so he comes to that 18th hole, and he puts that last putt in. And man, if you saw it, if you saw it, I mean, the crowd erupted. I think the ground must have shook. I have never, ever seen a reaction like that from people. People were crying. I was crying. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, he's come back. He's, he's actually made it back. We all love a redemption story, don't we? 
And, and God would love to have a, a, a redemption story play out in our life. And, and the question, I guess, would be, is like, well, why do we need a redemption story? And it really has everything in the world to do with this. Death. You see, the Bible tells us from the very beginning of mankind that, that man chose, he had choices. God always gives us choices. And, and we made a decision, a collective decision, and I say we, you know, it comes all the way back to the beginning, of, of our ancestors who said, ah, we don't really need you, God. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the garden. And if you're familiar with the story, you find in, in the third chapter of Genesis, as it talks about the creation story and man getting going, that God had one rule, just, just one rule. And that rule is, okay, got this one tree. Um, you guys, I want you to be blessed. You know, they're romping around naked, and the garden is beautiful, and everything is perfect. And, and God says, just have fun. Do anything you want. But there's just one thing. Don't mess with that one tree. And, of course, one day we know that they're looking at that one tree. And, and as they're looking at that tree, I, I kind of imagine it to be an avocado tree because I just think avocados like the best. And they're looking at that one tree. And, and, and so, you know, Eve reaches over. She grabs it, and she takes a bite. And she hands it to her husband, Adam, and he takes a bite. And, and the Bible says something happened in that moment, that their, their eyes were open. And I, I kind of imagine that when their eyes were open, it, it's kind of a funny moment because for the first time they realize they're naked. I'm not sure what that's all about. And, and, but, but more than that, suddenly they see, it's like, it's like this rush that they have. Kind of like, oh, it's, it, you know why? Because it's the forbidden fruit. And we all know what the for, forbidden fruit is, right? The, the forbidden fruit is that thing that you know that you're not supposed to do, but you do it, and you get kind of a rush from it, and it can be everything from, a, from an affair to a drug experience to something that you're doing, and you're like, ooh, and you're kind of chasing it. And for that moment, you're like, ah, it, you know, I think just for a moment, they felt really alive, and they were like, whoa. But then life turned to death. It always does. I... Uh, I really like this song. It's been around for a few years, uh, and it's by a group called uh, One Republic, and it's, count, it's called Counting Stars. And I want to read to you some lyrics. I was listening to it one day, and a lot of times when I hear a song that I like, I don't always listen to all the words. And for the first time, I started to really listen to the words, and I thought, man, that guy nailed it in terms of just what he was trying to, the message he was trying to convey. So these are just a few of the words, and, and it says, I feel something so right doing the wrong thing. I feel something so wrong, but doing the right thing. I could lie. I could lie. I could lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Chasing. You ever, you ever, you ever feel that way? Because we all want to feel alive, don't we? And I think we want to feel alive because sometimes we feel dead. Like, I, I got to do something that, something that will make me feel alive. But we choose something, we choose the forbidden fruit, and it always leads to death. And the question is, if death is the final enemy, what does that mean? It means we got no future. It's, it, it, it's why. The guy next to Jesus cried out, I don't want to die. You know, the Bible says that in Ecclesiastes, it says, God has put eternity in our hearts. I don't think anybody really wants to die. I mean, sometimes life really hurts and but, but deep down inside, we all want to live. We, we really want to experience life. And so the, the author of Ecclesiastes says this. He goes, there is a time for everything, a time to be born. And we're like, yes. And, you know, babies are beautiful, and, and growing up is beautiful, and life is beautiful. But then he says, and a time to die. You see, death 
from the perspective of God, was never supposed to be a part of our experience. Never. We were made to live, not die. But when man made that choice, and we all collectively in certain ways have made that choice to say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. I can run my own life. Thanks a lot, God. We move towards death. And, and death has been the experience of humanity ever since. Let me ask you a question. I think it's a good question. What areas of your life are dead right now? Maybe you walked in here this morning and you say, well, yeah, there's a few areas that I'm not feeling so alive in. And maybe it's a, in a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's in a marriage that's failing. Maybe it's in a horrible divorce that you're going through. Maybe it's as you're raising your children and you feel, I feel like such a failure. I feel like such a failure. And you feel dead in that area of your life. Maybe it's a career and it just all oh, has just gone south. And you're like, ah, my dream, it, it, it's all gone. What area is it in your life? Maybe it's an addiction, and you were, you were that person, you know, everything that kills me makes me feel alive, 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 and now I feel like I'm dying. It's not making me feel alive so much anymore, and I just have to keep chasing it. What area? See, that's why we need a second chance. That's why we need a resurrection. So Jesus comes into the world, and what does he do? He hangs on that cross And he dies for you and for me and for the sins of the world. And by doing that, he deals a death blow to death. Because we needed to be alive. We needed to be alive. Not just in the, you know, sometimes when you say that, people go, I I get it. You know, you die, the afterlife. No, no, no. He wants to give us life like right now. Like right now. So you can be alive in, in, in all of your relationships, you can be alive as you get up every morning. You can really feel alive instead of needing to chew stuff that ultimately is going to make you feel dead. So Jesus makes this profound statement. Jesus said, he said that uh, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a pretty big statement. I am the resurrection and the life. As a matter of fact, if you've been here for the last uh, several weeks... We've been talking about what are, are referred to as the great I am statements of Jesus. And he makes seven of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, here, here they are right here. And so he said that uh, I am the bread of life. I think that was the first one we talked about. And re- basically what he's saying is I am the sustenance. I'm everything that you need in this world. And, and then uh, he goes on and, and he says, uh, I, for instance, I am the truth and the life. And actually, the way, the way, the truth, and the life. If you're trying to find your way, he goes, go my way. If you want to know truth, know my truth. And, and, and these I am statements are about the fact that, that he's deity. Every time that Jesus said, I am, the people that didn't believe in him got really ticked off. And on a few occasions, they picked up rocks and they tried to kill him. And, and, and so it's interesting that even people today say, well, you know, he never actually said he was God. No, he actually did. You need to read what he said. They didn't crucify him because he was a prophet. They didn't crucify him because, you know, uh, they just didn't like him, the way he looked or something. They crucified him because he said he was God. He said, I am. And whenever he makes that I am statement, see, the reason that they got so angry at him is he was using the I am of the Old Testament. You say, what is the I am of the Old Testament? Remember in your Bibles, if you know this story, that one day Moses had an encounter with God, his first encounter. And God shows up in a burning bush. And, and, and at one point, Moses says, God, if you want me to go to deliver the people of 
the Jews from the, from the Israelites, I need to know your name. That's a valid question, right? And so God says, you want to know my name? Okay. I am who I am. You can imagine Moses kind of scratching his head going, so you want me to tell you that I am is your name? He goes, yep. And see, basically, I am, when Jesus said it that way, I mean, it means all these things. I am everything that you need. I am all truth. I am, I am all that the world, I created the world. I am. Just tell him that. So when Jesus is making this statement, that's basically what he's saying. So he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the first time that he really proves this, we're going to find in a little part of the story here. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 1. Jesus is with his disciples, and they catch word that a good friend of Jesus is, uh, is dying. His name is Lazarus. And uh, just, just so you know, so a lot of times when we think of Jesus, and especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, you kind of think of Jesus as being this character who was, you know, some, like, hippie who was alone and just did life independently. No, he had friends all over the place. And he has these friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And as a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that quite often he would stop over in this little community and he'd hang out with them. Like, he was in his early 30s, so kind of was like the early, the, uh, early 30s crowd hanging out with Jesus and having dinner and enjoying themselves. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethlehem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I mean, that had to just reach deep into the emotions of Jesus in that moment, like, oh, wow. Uh, and when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, the, for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister uh, and, and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, okay, let, let's go back to Judea. And I, he, later on, he explains right after this, he, he tells his disciples, you know, actually, he, he's, he's died. He's, he's dead. And they have to be scratching their head like, wow, Jesus, like we've seen you heal people all over the place. I mean, and this is like one of your best friends. And, and you didn't, you know, you didn't come over and, and you know, catch this before he died. They, they, they got to be wondering about this. And so let's, let's go to verse 17 now. On his arrival, so now Jesus shows up, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this is important right here. You can read right past this. So for four days, Lazarus has been dead. The Jews had a belief that after, after dying, after the third day, that your soul left your body. So he waits four days, and here's what he's saying. I want to make sure everybody knows that this friend of mine, Lazarus, is good and dead. Because we're going to do a resurrection. This is a warm-up for my resurrection. Okay, and so he, he shows up, and um, let's just read on. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews uh, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And Lord, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
And Jesus said to her, to her your brother will rise again. You know, kind of the, like the, the words that we often say, though, to try to comfort each other. And it, it's okay. You know, we try to say, well, you know, I know your brother passed or your sister, and it, it'll be, you'll, you'll see him again. And so, you know, sort of those comforting words. And Martha answered like we would, yeah, I know. I know that it'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But then here's where Jesus says it. Boom! He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Wow. She said, yes, Lord. She replied, I I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She didn't know what he was going to do. But in that moment... I think Jesus definitely had her attention. I'm the resurrection. I am the life. Jesus, in that moment, you got to know, it was a tough moment because these were friends, a lot of friends, a lot of people that were grieving and sobbing and crying. And, you know, sometimes when we don't feel alive, we wonder, does Jesus get that? Does he understand that I'm suffering, that I'm struggling that I'm not feeling alive right now. Can, can he help me in my grief? Maybe you lost somebody or, or, or something just died in your life, a dream, a career. Does he get that? And in this story, we see that he does. When, when, when she said, the one you love is sick, he was there. But then he joins in the grief. It's one of those rare moments where you see Jesus caught up in the emotion of what's happening. And, you know, from our perspective, we think, well, why was he grieving? Good grief. In just a few moments, he's going to perform a resurrection. Everybody's going to be happy. Why would he cry? I believe that it wasn't just the fact that Lazarus, his good buddy, had died. It was he looked at death right in the eyes. He saw the effects of death. He saw people grieving. And by this time in his life, he had seen so much death. Everywhere he went, he saw death, and he thought, it's horrible. The audacity of death to come in to rob us of our dreams and to take away what we want to experience, life. And when it says that he wept, shortest verse in the Bible, I don't believe it was a couple of tears rolling down. I believe he sobbed, not just because of Lazarus, but because everybody that would experience death. It was never, ever supposed to be that way. Maybe you're here today. Maybe somebody drug you here, I don't know, and you're like, okay, let's do the Easter thing. You know, and, and you're wondering about all this. And, and maybe you've got some baggage from maybe a bad church experience or, or, I don't know, maybe it's just something you're like, yeah, that's for other people, it's not for me. I think I, think I can sort of handle my own life. But God wants to bring a resurrection to you in your life, in any place that you're, you're hurting. And I, I know in, in my own life, uh, there was a season in my life, it was the toughest season of my life to this day. So in 1993, I came to pastor my first church. Prior to that, I'd been a youth pastor, associate pastor, been involved in ministry. But in, in 93, I came over to Ocean Beach to pastor this church. And I got to tell you, I was so excited. It was like my dream come true. Not only do I get to go to uh, Ocean Beach uh, and pastor for the first time, I get to live like three blocks from, you know, the ocean. I'm a surfer. That meant a lot to me. And I'm like, it's all, all the stars are aligning. Everything is coming together. My dream is coming true. Thank you, Jesus, right? Well, three years later, 
I was a disaster. My life was a disaster. The, the whole church experience that I was having turned out to be the worst experience of my life. I was struggling in, in my marriage. I was not the dad that I wanted to be. I was super angry. And, and one of my friends just saw me falling apart. I mean, the wheels were just coming off. And he said to me, man, you need to go get help, Steve. And so I went to go see a, a therapist that was highly recommended to me. And I, I, I remember sitting down uh, in his office for the first day. And as most therapists will do, he says, well, tell me your story. I'm like, oh, wow. All right. So I told him about everything that I was going through. And when I was finished, he says, okay. How do you feel? And I said, you want to know how I feel? Because yeah, how do you feel? I said, I'll tell you how I feel. I hate Christians. Now, let me tell you something. When you're a pastor and you hate Christians, you got a problem. And I, and, and I realized, it, you know, it wasn't that I hated all Christians. I just was, I had these people that were just, they, they really had this visceral kind of hatred emotion towards me. And it was, it's a long story. We could write a book about it. But, but, but I was feeling that. And so I was sort of projecting on everybody. But there was a resurrection that would happen in my life. I didn't give up. I almost gave up. But I didn't give up. And, and, and day by day and week by week, God began to restore my, my heart and my life. And, and, and he's the only one that could have done it because I hate to think what would have happened if I walked out and took things into my own hands with all the anger and everything in me. But he brought life back into me, literally breathed life back into me. And I stand before you today, all these years later, a whole person, I think a pretty good husband, not a perfect dad to be sure, but trying. And I can say all of that has to do with a resurrection that God did in my life. And I know that he wants to do a resurrection in your life as well, in any, any particular area of your life that you need it. God can literally bring your life back to life. That's why he said, I'm the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He wants to give you life. That, that's his purpose in coming into the world. So he raises his, his buddy Lazarus to life. He says, no, it's, it's for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. So just cut right to the quick on, on the story. If you know the story, he walks up to the grave. He says, roll a stone away. It's almost kind of comical, in, especially in the King James Version. Martha steps up and says, uh, he's been in the grave for four days. He stinketh. Yeah, yeah, that, that happens, you know. And uh, so he says, roll it away. Go, okay. So they roll it away, and he says a quick prayer. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the next thing you know, this guy who's all got these grave clothes on is walking out. And it blows everybody's mind, and there's a resurrection, but he's just getting warmed up. Because again, really, this is, this is really a, a precursor to his own resurrection. He's just, he says, I came to bring life. Okay, you just saw it right there. I raised Lazarus back to life. But you're gonna, I'm going to blow your mind with the next one. I'm going to raise my own life. And that's, that's really what resurrection is really all about. Let's, uh, let's go to that story. And this is the, the Easter story, just a short part of it. Chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. So this is the first day of the week. And all the people that were following Jesus, I mean, their whole world's just been crushed. It's all over. All their hopes and dreams and all those that said, Jesus 
you know, he's the way. Gone. Well, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white and seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. I wonder if sometimes, I just wonder if the, in the deepest, most terrible, darkest times of our life, Jesus is there, we just don't recognize it. it, it you know, it's, it's hard to recognize Jesus in pain. You know, like we're, just, we're just grasping for straws, like anything, just bring relief. And Jesus is there, but I think like Mary, the last thing that she expected to see was an alive, resurrected Jesus. And so he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, I, I like this. This is, elevates the status of gardeners for all time now. <laughs> thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, in, and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, it's me. She turned around, and she cried in Aramaic, Rabbi. Teacher, what an amazing moment that was to find a resurrected Jesus and then to, to, to go on and, and run back to the disciples and say, he's alive. He's alive. He called it. He called his, his own resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection proves for us that, that death is defeated. For all of humanity. Now, when I say that, some of you are thinking, well, then, you know, pretty much everybody still dies, right? You're right. Ten out of ten people will die. That's just the way it is. But what he's talking about is the fact that in this life, you can either die twice or you can live twice. You die twice. The first death you die is if basically you don't have a relationship with God. Then you're just by degree, slowly, you're making bad choices. You know, everything that makes me feel alive kills me, kind of that thing. You're chasing stuff, doing everything you can to all of your life make yourself be alive. And so you're dying. And then after that, if you don't have God, you don't have life. You got nothing. But to to live twice is to say, God, I I want you. I want your resurrection power in my life. God, I'm going to, I'm tired of chasing stuff that kills me. I'm tired of making bad decisions. I'm tired of living life on my own terms because I can't quite get it right. God, I'm going to follow you because I want life. And you begin to experience life. Your life begins to look different. I mean, you know, you don't always get it perfect for a while, but after a while, less and less you're chasing stuff that kills you and makes you feel alive. You don't need that anymore because God begins to make you feel alive in a whole different way. And you begin to become to evolve into this best version of yourself. That's what God has for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, it says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that whatever your, the state of your life is right now, that he can raise up your life from the ashes of things gone bad? That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. 
In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It was bad. But God says, I'm, I've come to give you life. So because Jesus has authority over death, I can give him authority over my life. The question is, are you willing to do that? Jesus said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? That's what, that's what this is all about. Are you willing to say, okay, God, I'll give you a shot. I want to live. I want to make good choices. I want to know that in this life I can have life, and that after this life I can have life even more. That's what he has for you. And so where do you need his resurrection power in your life this morning? Where do you need it? So I'm going to very boldly just, just ask you that if you are not experiencing resurrection uh, life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that this morning I want to invite you to begin a relationship with Jesus. To, to, to experience life, really life, real life. I mean, what are you chasing? How's that working for you? Really? I mean, think about it. Jesus, Jesus said, I am, which is all encompasses everything. And sometimes if we're not following God, we're, we kind of are our own God and we go, I am. Yeah? I am going to have a great career. I am never going to be like my parents again. I am never going to go in debt again. I am never going to drink too much again. I am. How's that working for you? Because we're talking about the great I am. And he will come into your life, and you can bank on his I am. I mean, he's, he's got it. Well, I'll leave you with that. And so I want to put the challenge out there this morning. But you just bow your heads with me for a moment. And you know, whether you're a Christ follower or you've ne- never really invited Christ into your life, I just want you to, to for a moment, just do some inventory. Like, what's inside of your soul, inside of your heart, what's going on? And if you're here today... I'd like to invite you to come to Jesus. Maybe you were there and you just kind of got away from it. You sort of drifted away from it. And the, today would be the day. You say, I need life. I, want, I choose life. Choose Jesus. If that's you and you're here this morning, would you just raise your hand? And we're going to have a closing prayer. I'd like to pray for you. I choose Jesus. I, I choose life. I've been choosing something else. Looking around in this moment. If you're really honest with yourself, you say, I I choose life. Anybody here? Choose Jesus. All right. All right. Father, thank you for sending your son into this world to hang on a cross, to take on himself the curse that we deserved to rise again from the dead so that we could live. Everything that kills us makes us feel alive is one of the biggest lies. Oh, we chase it. We look for life in all the wrong places. But somewhere along the line, we come to the conclusion we're not getting it right. And by degrees, we feel death. Lord, I pray this morning that we will choose life. And for these that responded, we thank you for them. We thank you for that decision. And for those that are still in the valley of 
indecision. God, may you convince them that you truly are the resurrection and the life. And that apart from you, they're never, ever going to really, really experience life. You came into this world to fix that problem, and you did. Now it's our choice. God, help us to make the right choice. Jesus, you are the right choice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.